0: to Securing America with me, Frank Affney, the program that's a kind of owner's manual for protecting the country we love against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to the glory of God and his kingdom. We have so many challenges at the moment. Sometimes you just want to curl up into a fetal position and pretend that it'll all go away if you don't pay attention to it. Well, sorry, if that's your attitude, your on the wrong program because we pay attention to all of these things as best we can. And we always try to do it with the help of the best minds in America and sometimes elsewhere as well. One of those is Dr. Robert Malone. I'm proud to say that he's become not only a greatly admired physician and leader in the fight against, well, quite a number of those problems that we'll be discussing with him momentarily including pandemics the one we've just emerged from and the next one they're calling disease x and who knows what all else that is headed our way in the medical space he is by training a brilliant uh, clinician and it uh, was deeply involved in the innovation that led to the mrna Technology. He has been very critical of its application in the form of the so-called vaccines for COVID, and we'll talk with him about that momentarily. But he's also become something of a media star, and now the host of his own uh, platform that he is uh, a wonderful friend of ours, Jan Iekielek from Epic Times, have put together. They call it Fallout. And it's now in serial production. It runs on Fridays, as I understand it. And we'll talk with him a little bit more about what that involves and um, how important that contribution, uh, among many others, he's making, is going to be. Uh, he has written a book, and I'm going to get the name wrong, so he'll correct me about it. But I think it's Lies The Gover- My Government Told Me about COVID, among other things. And I just want to cut to the chase and welcome him so that he can do the talking. Robert, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us once again at Securing America.
1: My pleasure, Frank. And thanks for all your leadership and hard work. Uh, it's, it, I agree. It's its a, a quite a load. Uh, it's a labor of atlas. Uh, sometimes it feels like we're carrying well, the world on Well, I guess on, it's
0: on a good day. But when you have partners and people that are of a like mind and willing to be courageous and uh, and inspiring. It, it does make that load a lot more bearable. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the takeaways uh, from your own personal experience. The most important things that we should have learned about, well, uh, pandemics, yes, but sort of public health policy and the mechanics of trying to keep people safe in a time of, well, man-engineered pandemics like COVID-19.
1: So I agree that the, uh, with your last statement, the data are now overwhelmingly uh, clear that this was a laboratory-engineered pathogen, uh, the product of over a decade of research by uh, the bat lady, quote-unquote, uh, to learn how to increase the infectivity of uh these Sarbico coronaviruses, and in particular, engineering the spike protein of those uh, to uh, facilitate infection in humans, uh, interaction with ACE2, et cetera. So the data are now uh, incontrovertible. And and in part, that data...
0: Excuse me, but just to make a point here, in part, that data includes... The involvement of our own government in uh, engineering and providing technology and funding even for the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Is that right?
1: So to simplify it for, for folks that haven't been uh, following the bouncing ball as closely as you and I have, uh, there's three main players involved here. Uh, one is obviously the Chinese Communist Party and their People's Liberation Army. PLA is intimately integrated into this, uh, let's say, the build or engineering of this particular virus as well as the uh, capture and transfer of other related coronaviruses from a variety of sites all over the world, including China. So the CCP PLA is one of the key players. a number of NATO states, but in particular, the United States government and multiple agencies within the US government were intimately involved in this through a variety of funding mechanisms of which the NIAID, Tony Fauci's organization, actually provided the minority of US government funding. So we all focus on Tony. He's a, a, a useful stocking horse uh, for so many different reasons in a front man, but uh, USAID and DOD DITRA uh, Threat Mitigation Branch uh, provided much more funding than did NIAD. The other third player in this is a loose consortium of worldwide academic thought leaders that are tied together into a, a network that integrates back into a variety of NGOs, including WHO, Gates Foundation, etc., um, and, and, and
0: WHO, uh, of course, is the World Health, world Health Organization, Organization. Right. Uh,
1: and uh, is in in this specific case, seems to be centered around the Eco Health Alliance Group of uh, Dazic et al, uh, and um, they they are uh, a kingpin, but uh, they have very broad tentacles across the world uh, into UC Davis into Wuhan Institute of Virology, into uh, the Wellcome Trust, into the Gates Foundation. So what, this is a- And, is and the World Health, Health. Health Organization as well. Absolutely, it's a, it's a loose uh, consortium of uh, very privileged high profile academic thought leaders that uh, are, are working together with uh, key entities within the US government and CCPPLA. So those are the main players.
0: So why I'm particularly concerned about this World Health Organization angle in all of this is that, as you know better than just about anybody, it did not acquit itself terribly well in the COVID pandemic. And yet we are at the cusp of having um, an agreement, an international agreement or two, that would basically create. Uh, this supranational dictating organization, not an advisory body, but a dictating one. And I I guess I would just ask you, Dr. Malone, based on your personal experience, um, especially the impact on the doctor-patient relationship and medical freedom and sovereignty, for that matter, uh, of the WHO's performance in the COVID-19 exercise, is this advisable, this superpower and super steroids, I guess you might even call it, uh, uh, treatment for the WHO?
1: Uh, in my opinion, this is a, uh, we, we are seeing another example of the weaponization of quote, world health or public health to advance other agendas. And uh, remember that WHO is a branch of the UN, Famously, a key uh, representative of the UN in interviews with uh, the uh, World Economic Forum uh, within the last year made this statement, quote, we own the science. And what that translates to is that uh, the UN, together with their allies, have basically co-opted all the scientific journals, in, in particular the World Economic Forum and their global you know, there are a thousand largest corporations that are the center of uh, the, the WEF or World Economic Forum. Uh, they, they have managed to control virtually all sources, uh, all approved sources of information. And that, the, I have to ask you to hold
0: that thought. We're hard at a stop, and we're going to come back on this point about controlling information and disinformation, as they like to call it. Um, Is that something you really want the WHO doing? Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more with Dr. Robert. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. With the benefit of hindsight, experts debate whether we had foreknowledge about the deadly Pearl Harbor and 9 11 attacks on our homeland. There can be no such dispute about those being readied by the Chinese Communist Party. For example, FBI Director Chris Ray warned last week the CCP is planning to wreak havoc here with cyber warfare. The same day, the Justice Department announced it had just thwarted such an attack. And a new multinational report says Chinese government hackers have been hiding inside our critical infrastructure for five years. Last month, 10 former senior FBI executives wrote that Chinese and other military-age men invading our border threaten catastrophe. Tomorrow at noon Eastern time, we will map out Xi Jinping's incipient Pearl Harbor and what we must do about it now. Every American should see it. Join us at presentdangerchina.org. This is Frank Avney. Welcome back. Dr. Robert Malone is in the house. We are talking about what happened to us in the COVID pandemic. And what is now in prospect? And I was obliged to cut you off, Robert. I apologize uh, due to the press of time. But uh, just pick up where you left off there on this idea that essentially we're going to have the World Health Organization dictating not only what is an emergency, a public health emergency, but also what we must do about it. And based on past track record, how inadvisable that is.
1: So what we've seen over the last four years is the WHO implementing its version of what appropriate public health policy is. And what this really illustrates as well as what we've seen all those of us here in the United States in our own public health response is that the training given for those that are our leaders now, these masters in public health degrees is very focused on a utilitarian concept, the greatest good for the greatest number. It ignores the rights and interests of the individual and is of the belief that uh, things that can be justified as saving lives in the abstract um, should be implemented. And what became clear is a failure to think about the bigger picture and the impact of these policies, such as lockdowns, quarantining, et cetera, on the whole country. Now, WHO has taken that another step and implemented this globally combined with its uh, attempts at censorship and uh, a variety of different propaganda techniques. And that's now being codified into law in
0: various locations across the world. This is chilling. Um, In addition to the idea that they will dictate what can be known and said, let alone done about diseases, that. Happen to deviate from the prescribed program, um, they are now instituting as well instruments for enforcing all of this um, through digital identification cards and central bank digital currencies and other techniques. Yeah, They want us
1: to all have digital ID passports in which our medical information will be coded. That'll be necessary in order to travel to the extent that they allow us to travel. Uh, And and two examples recently of uh, the really arbitrary and capricious behavior of the World Health Organization as it relates to public health include uh, the monkeypox outbreak, a a declared a global pandemic, despite Mr. Tedros, two different versions of Mr. Tedros's, this is the director general of the WHO, uh, his advisory board, quote unquote, telling him uh, in the second case in a reconstituted board, Uh, by a vote, as I recall, of 12 to nine against declaring monkeypox a global pandemic. Mr. Tedros decided that was a tie which he broke and then declared it a a global pandemic. Clearly we have not had a major uh, global uh, health crisis associated with uh, monkeypox. The more recent version of this is weaponization of this uh, artificial construct, this theoretical risk called Disease X, which doesn't exist. It's just a placeholder, but they've given very specific uh, numbers for what they think is gonna be the toxicity or mortality of this 20 times more than was with uh, COVID. And uh, they basically whipped up yet more fear around this just at the right time in order to help justify this uh, treaty that the Biden administration refuses to call a treaty uh the new uh, pandemic health uh, treaty with WHO and the international health regulation modifications that would cede all this authority up to uh, Mr. Tedros. It was actually authored by the US uh, Department of Health and Human Services originally.
0: Yeah, this uh, is problematic on so many different levels. And, and I did just wanna come back to the fact that the problems we incurred Experience, let me put it that way, in COVID-19, were in no small measure because we were lied to by the World Health Organization about the nature of the disease, where it came from, uh, and the best way to treat it. Strongly, And in, in their, their sort of preliminary fashion, they were very anxious and got help from our government in uh, suppressing contrary information and, and the prescription of uh, therapies by people like yourself that uh, would have made a huge difference in the loss of life and the damage to our society, no?
1: Yeah, the the clear, explicitly clear case is the suppression of information relating to the origin of the virus. And that was done in close cooperation with both CCP PLA and the United States government, of course, because they were intimately involved in creating the problem. And so we had the active suppression of any discussion regarding the origins of the virus having been engineered. And if that had been, if we had had an awareness of that as started to be the case in the first quarter of 2020, we probably, we should have had much different public health responses. Think about it. What we've done is engineered a genetic therapy that causes people's body when injected, and we've injected this into well over a billion persons, causes people's body to manufacture a bioengineered toxin, that being the spike protein. And they took the bioengineered spike protein from this virus that had been engineered at the Wuhan Institute and swapped it directly into gene therapy vectors, whether adenovirus or mRNA-based, injected them into people and caused their bodies to manufacture the very toxin that the Bat Lady had been working to weaponize for over a decade. Just just yeah. think about that for a minute.
0: Yeah. And I, I, when you think about it, even for a nanosecond, you realize uh, that's, uh, well, malfeasance at best. Uh, it's murder. Yeah, it's beyond yeah, malfeasance. malfeasance as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so but, but, how, but,
1: how can we how can we trust these people to make a well informed Uh, public health decisions that are truly in the interests of the global human community.
0: Yeah, and and especially when, as you've indicated, Dr. Malone, the the real agenda here is gaining and exercising control. And since Tedros Cabres, the Director General of the World Health Organization, is a man selected for the position by the Chinese Communist Party and has been doing its bidding and promoting its uh, China model ever since, Uh, again, it's just uh, a disaster on so many different levels, and it's why I I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about this, because I know you are working hard, among other places, um, at an upcoming international COVID summit, uh, I believe, on the margins of the uh, uh, Conservative Political Action Conference here in Washington, D.C., as well as with uh, one of our best United States Senators, Ron Johnson. I don't know if you can share anything about those coming attractions, but uh, it's God's work, and we so appreciate what you're doing there.
1: Well, thanks a lot, Frank. So concurrent with CPAC, and CPAC this year, of course, is an election year, is turning out to have a real uh, strong uh, list of headline speakers, not the least of which is Mr. Trump. Uh, and uh, so Uh, recognizing that Mr. Trump and the Secret Service are going to dominate Saturday's events. CPAC starts on, I think, the 23rd of Wednesday and then carries through that Saturday night. On Friday, there's a concurrent session. We're now calling it the International Crisis Summit uh, because it's so much bigger than just COVID. This is the fifth of these meetings that we've had. And we have, this time, a very strong international roster So there will be a concurrent session if you buy your tickets through the appropriate link at the same link at the same prices for the CPAC. You can attend the breakout room uh, where we have this uh, really stellar, world-class line of speakers. Then on Sunday, still at the Gaylord, we will have a second session that will be headlined by the senator. And then... uh, And then in parallel, on the following Monday, the senator will be holding hearings in the Kennedy conference room beginning at 8.30 in the morning until 1, uh, in which we'll speak about WHO, uh, the harms caused, and many other things with an
0: emphasis on public policy. Praise God. This is hugely important work, and, um, and it couldn't be more timely because we are hurtling down the track towards... The Biden administration getting us into this deal with the World Uh, Health Organization. Ron Ron is
1: Ron Johnson is convinced that uh, Mr. Biden will sign this. uh, I'm not even sure he has to sign it,
0: but that's for another day. Robert, we have to let you go. Thanks. Come back to us soon if you would, sir. God bless you. We'll be right back with more right after this.
2: Night after night in cities across the country, black-garbed assailants clash with police in the streets, smash windows, and throw Molotov cocktails in an effort to destroy police stations, federal courthouses, and local businesses, all in the name of anti-fascism. Most Americans are now sadly all too aware of the movement known as Antifa, but where did they come from, what do they want, and how do we stop their campaign of violent mayhem? The Center for Security Policy Press is proud to present Unmasking Antifa, Five Perspectives on a Growing Threat. This new book looks at the history, ideology, organization, finances, and strategy of Antifa and provides an in-depth analysis for law enforcement officers, policymakers, and the general public. From street fighting tactics of the Black Bloc to fundraising by prominent left-wing foundations, Unmasking Antifa is the go-to guide to understand this elusive and dangerous threat. Get your copy of Unmasking Antifa, 5 Perspectives on a Growing Threat at Amazon.com.
0: back. And what a delight to be able to say, Naomi Wolf has joined us. Naomi is, of course, a woman who has uh, quite an extraordinary pedigree, uh, mostly playing for the left, honestly. But she is playing for the right now in a very significant way. Playing for America, I think, is the point. And uh, some of us would say more today than in the past. But whatever it is, she is a national treasure. I happen to have on hand one of her most recent books. This is based on the incredible work that she has been leading and encouraging and enabling with her daily clout, War Room Posse, Coalition team about the COVID virus, Um, but we're not going to talk with her about that today. Uh, We will, I hope, on another occasion soon. Uh, We're not going to be talking, therefore, about her, uh, one of her most recent books, The Bodies of Others, which is all about that, Uh, nor really about Facing the Beast, which is the most recent one. And I wish I could hold up all of them, but I can't. But what we're going to do instead is talk about her really vital work that is at hand at the moment, and that is with respect to election integrity and efforts she's making to create a basis upon which every state in the union could have a free and fair election this fall. Naomi Wolf, God bless you for that work and for coming on to talk briefly about it with us today. I caught a bit of your program with Steve Bannon yesterday, and it... um, it gave me program envy. So here I am (laughs) having you join us uh, at least for a short um, update on what you're doing and uh, how it's coming. So welcome back.
3: Thank you so much. And thank you. um, You know, I do, I do consider that I'm, I'm, I'm playing for team constitution and team America, as opposed to any uh, partisan team, but it's sad and interesting that we're in a moment when the people who want to talk to me about the constitution tend to be on the right. I mean, right. it's, it's better right. than nothing, but I, I well,
0: I, and the, and the people who are vilifying you for talking about the constitution are mostly
3: on the alive. left. It's okay. It's, but it's, right. about, I, America. I and it. it's that's, about America. And that's exactly. what
0: this project is about, especially. So give us a quick uh, rundown of what you're doing. E-
3: exactly right. So it's so exciting. Um, basically, you know, I've been aware for a long time how, Seriously, our elections are compromised, and a lot of people, like uh, Mike Clindell on the right, and, um, and Mark Crispin Miller on the left, and many, many other people too numerous to to name, have done incredible work identifying, you know, what the range of problems are, um, ranging from ballot harvesting to uh, machines, you know, digital machines. Um, to problems with voter ID or laws that say you don't have to offer an ID at all, and so non citizens are voting, um, absentee ballots, um, and so on. And of course, I was an advisor. Well, of course, to me, a lot of people may not know who are watching. I was an advisor to the Gore 2000 campaign in 2000 when, you know, 300 plus votes in one county decided the outcome of that election and took that presidential election to the Supreme Court. And there was that whole drama around hanging chads. Really, in retrospect, um, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, the the hype around what were really not very many um, ambiguous votes, uh, I think, was intentional, not by either candidate, but by those kind of nefarious forces who really wanted to bring in Voting machines, which happened around two thousand and five, most people are voting via these digital machines. Yep, and it's my argument now that, and I, I'm speaking as a tech CEO because I asked my developer how hard is it to compromise these machines, and the answer he gave he gave me was shocking. That literally, you don't even have to hack them. All you have to do is give the backend credentials, the username and password, to anyone anywhere in the world, you know, or fix the algorithm so that it counts three, you know, Democratic votes for every one uh, Republican vote. I mean,
0: Because they are, in fact, contrary to some representations, hooked up to the Internet, no?
3: Right, but I guess what I'm trying to say, yes, indeed, but I guess what I'm trying to say, because people kind of got that, that you can hack them because they're hooked up to the Internet, but you don't even have to hack them, right? All you have to do is have code, you know, software code, which every digital machine has, platform has, that and you can't see it because it's proprietary, right? No one's allowed to see the code of these machines. And the code can simply be set to count wrong. Or, you know, literally, you can give the credentials to a back-end developer who can just alter the outcome. So like I what I'm trying to say is it's even easier than hacking the machines. Like the like literally I concluded that we can't know who has won US elections going back to 2005.
0: So what's the solution so, to these you, myriad thank problems? Thank
3: you, thank you. So we uh, partnered with Phil Klein and American Voters Alliance, um, and they've been active in you know voting integrity for a long time. And they're lawyers, and we drafted a 19 page bill, um, which is written in clean, pure, simple English that anyone can understand. You don't need to be a lawyer. Uh, It's right there on our website, dailycloud.io. It's on American Voters Alliance website, ABA, and you can download it as a PDF. You can download it as a Word document. You can fill in your state and send it to your uh, state uh, representative to sponsor it. And basically, it solves the 10 main problems, right? It gets rid of uh, machines, it's paper ballots. It gets rid of no voter ID. It, it guarantees voter ID. It gets rid of ballot harvesting. The people who ask for um, ballots uh, to be sent to them have to proactively ask. They have to. It has to be witnessed. The witness has to sign it. You know, and and have their address. And and if it's brought to the polling place, it has to be brought by a specified relative, um, and so on. So no third. And points. voter
0: identification is central to all of this.
3: Absolutely, it's the I think second point in the bill. Um, like in New York state, I don't have to offer an ID to say I am who I say I am. And that's over with our bill. Everyone has to provide government issued ID confirming that they are a US citizen.
0: Okay, very quickly. And I know there are a lot of other things that we're fixing with this initiative, but just on this point, Naomi, a lot of the people that you used to hang with insist that voter ID is inherently discriminatory. It is going to prevent people, disenfranchise people. What do you say in response to that?
3: I mean, it's just so embarrassing and shameful that the left is resorting to such racist and nonsensical attacks on American citizens. You know, I mean, imagine Jews aren't smart enough to figure out how to get an idea. Like you would never, you know, like you would never make that, you know, gay people can't figure out how to get an idea. It's such a horrible thing But to it's say. principally
0: saying black people and maybe that's Hispanics. The, that's
3: the implication in it, which know. is so racist. I agree um, with you. And, and, you know, no one sector of the electorate is stupid. Everyone can figure it out. These IDs don't cost money. You can use your social security card. And, you know, honestly, if you need an ID or- yeah. yeah,
0: the ga- the government will give you an ID. That's not a Correct. problem. And by the way, you almost certainly need it for something else in your well, life. Too, which is just like,
3: literally crazy making. Else. Literally, you know, driving a car, having yeah. a bank loan, having a bank account. You right. need an identification. Need getting a drink. An ID. <laughs> I mean, getting you know, a let's drink. face it. Exactly.
0: So, so Naomi, let me ask you because this is at the heart of the matter, it seems to me. If you've f- fixed the idea that it must be paper ballots. An awful lot of other shenanigans that you've also identified just go away overnight. And yet we're told we don't have enough time to do paper ballots. Is Is that that what they're saying? Yes, I've I've heard them say
3: that. It's, It's lunacy. Honestly, it's absolute lunacy. We've been voting with paper ballots for our entire history. You know, states that have no question about who won the election, like New Hampshire, vote with paper ballots. Uh, Not only have Americans always voted with paper ballots, obviously, because that's what there was, but what's very beautiful that we've looped into our bill is that at the turn of the century and in the 19th century, counting the vote used to be a public occasion that took place on a raised dais in front of everyone in the community. and Everyone who voted, everyone in the town could see. There's that vote going there. There's this vote going there. There's that vote going there. There's this vote going there. There's no reason we should not bring back that um, public transparency. Yeah, and with civic
0: duty, and civic, really. Civic so defense. then if all of that is so, um, then one of the most important other things, it seems to me, you touched on it a moment ago, is that we don't want people who are not citizens to be casting votes because let's face it, folks, everybody who is not a citizen who somehow manages to do that is disenfranchising somebody who is a citizen. At the very least, they're negating that vote of yeah. a legitimate citizen. How do you ensure that non-citizens who are now being put on the voter rolls in
3: a lot of states, as you know, oh my gosh, I did not are know. Uh, not
0: going to be actually able to do this?
3: Um. Wow. Well... I, I believe that a social security card is only granted to United States citizens. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think so. Really, we
0: we need to check on that, (laughs) and we certainly know that driver's licenses are not exclusively given to them. Now, this is a this is a critical piece, but I think it starts with your solution that you need to identify yourself. And then you work from there. But I did want to say before we run out of time altogether, Mm -hmm. uh, this is so important. I want you to give the place people can go to get the full Monty on Mm -hmm. this. But I also want you to talk about a remarkable woman. I had the privilege of meeting in your company uh, Mm -hmm. last year sometime. Heidi Simpson from the great state of Maine tell us about her tell us what she's doing now with this legislation
3: sure and i'll just say about your last point that the beauty of this process is that we've gotten some great feedback of how to about how to make the bill even stronger so one sentence i can ask our lawyers to add is no non-citizen will be added to the voter rolls and then they can do their worst you know like if you have a good bill and you make it a law you know, that's that, that's the law. So I will take that back to the lawyers. Thank you very much. Heidi Sampson.
0: Naomi Wolf, God bless you. This is such important work. We'll have you back to find out how it's coming. Keep up the great work, my dear Daily Clout. God bless you all. We'll be right back with more. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. With the benefit of hindsight, experts debate whether we had foreknowledge about the deadly Pearl Harbor and 9-11 attacks on our homeland. There can be no such dispute about those being readied by the Chinese Communist Party. For example, FBI Director Chris Ray warned last week the CCP is planning to wreak havoc here with cyber warfare. The same day, the Justice Department announced it had just thwarted such an attack. And a new multinational report says Chinese government hackers have been hiding inside our critical infrastructure for five years. Last month, 10 former senior FBI executives wrote that Chinese and other military-age men invading our border threaten catastrophe. Tomorrow at noon Eastern time, we will map out Xi Jinping's incipient Pearl Harbor and what we must do about it now. Every American should see it. Join us at presentdangerchina.org. org. This is Frank Afney. We're back, and I am thrilled because we have a guy who knows a lot about a subject that has got a, well, sort of breaking news item at the moment. The guy is our friend Christopher Ayakavella. He is the president and CEO of a terrific organization, the American Securities Association, basically represents the non Wall Street part of the financial sector, and it does a, a marvelous job of standing up for the interests of um, investors, unlike what I think is often happening on Wall Street these days, as is evidenced by a new report coming out from the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, chaired by Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin. and. Uh, Chris, it's great to have you with us. Uh, You've had experience on Capitol Hill. You have also been working tirelessly to try to get the kind of, well, general approach, if not all of the particulars, that um, the Gallagher investigation has now revealed in terms of our funding, our mortal enemy, the Chinese Communist Party, brought to an end as quickly as possible. for both the interests of investors as well as the nation more broadly. Tell us a little bit about your reaction to uh, this new report. Uh, I don't think either of us have had a chance to read it in detail, but uh, we've got some press clips and you've been, I think, party to a conversation about it. What what can you share? Well, thanks
4: for having me, Frank. I always appreciate being on your program and speaking with your audience. Uh, I think that the general takeaway is it's, it's very important that Congress continue to expose links of us investor financing into the chinese communist party owned uh, sectors entities military industrial complex uh, and their uh, race for to be superior in quantum computing this report does a lot of that it highlights significant areas where venture capitalists have put us venture capitalists have put seed money into chinese companies and so it raises a, a number of serious questions about what do you do? Uh, these are clearly uh, sectors that threaten the United States' economic and national security. And and what we hope will come out of this kind of a report are some real policy solutions that both sides of the aisle can get behind.
0: Yeah, from your lips to God's ears, I, I'm not sure I'm gonna hold my breath on it, but just, just to give a couple of highlights of this uh, investigation, um, the committee apparently found that five venture capital entities um, had invested something on the order of $3 billion, and that's that's pretty much chump change uh, in this circle, um, and I'm sure it's just a fraction of what's actually been invested. But what's of concern, as you just said, Chris, is that a large amount of that money um, by The committee's estimate two-thirds of that $3 billion has gone directly into companies working on artificial intelligence and applications of it for the Chinese Communist Party's military, the People's Liberation Army, and also human rights abusers within the Chinese Communist Party. This is obviously insane on our part, and yet you've been warning about it for years, and it's only really been lately that uh people like Mike Gallagher have been coming up on the net raising concerns as well. Uh, I I'm sure you take some satisfaction from that development, but um a lot more needs to be done, obviously, doesn't it?
4: A lot more needs to be done. That's exactly right, Frank. And I mean you should take a lot of credit along with our colleagues Uh, Steve Bannon, Roger Robinson, Brian Kennedy, raising awareness on this topic wouldn't have been possible without the collaboration of of all of us together working and pounding the drum on Capitol Hill on both sides of the aisle. And I think we're getting to a place right now where people realize sanctions regime is not enough. Uh, Notification regime is not enough. We need outright prohibitions from U.S. investor dollars flowing into mainland China. And the more that I talk to people around this country, retail investors, everyday investors, they're appalled by the fact that there are Chinese companies and funds that they own, uh, simply given the fact that they didn't realize that they would be funding and sending money to the Chinese Communist Party. and
2: and
0: Sending specifically, just to be clear, their money, their, money. their, their pension funds, their 401k plans, their mutual funds, what have you. Well, and that's what's being put into these Chinese entities, no?
4: That's right. There are a number, there was a report that came out in December citing numerous American pension funds that had been sold a bill of goods by Wall Street to invest in the never-ending growth story of China. Well, guess what? That market's down almost 40% since November. It shows no signs of turning around but for the fact that the Chinese government is trying to buy their own stock to prop up the marketplace and is prohibiting money from leaving the country. So you have to ask yourself, if you're one of these VCs or if you're a private equity fund, is that money that you spent and invested, quote unquote, into China, is that really your money? I think that's a serious question. I think that's a question that pension fund managers and institutional managers need to ask their private equity advisors, is my money liquid? Can I get it out?
2: Mm
0: And, and this is, of course, a personal and very serious consideration, I'm sure. Uh, but it's, I would argue and certainly hope, is trumped by a concern about the nation and its well-being. Uh, that money is being used in ways that we've just alluded to, to endanger our country and people. Uh, and it's more than just the loss of the money that's at stake here. It could be the loss of our country or our lives, for that matter. And, and Chris, uh, we're going to have to take a break here in just a moment. But I I just want to say you, you were kind to point out that a number of our friends and colleagues, particularly those uh, associated with our Committee on the Present Danger of China, as you are, have been working to raise awareness about this and encourage action. I, I think you deserve a lion's share of that credit, especially for the work you've done um, on the Democratic side of the aisle, trying to get people there uh, engaged as well. And this investigation by the Select Committee is a bipartisan product. So uh, I think that uh, is evidence of, of the important work you're doing. I, I, we have to take just a short break. When we come back, I want you to give us more detail on the specific things you and the American Securities Association have been championing and uh, the progress that's being made and what needs to be done next. So stay tuned for that and much more with Chris Ayacavella right after this. back. And I'm very pleased to say we are joined once again by Chris Iacovella, a good friend and very valued colleague in the fight to try to prevent mostly unwitting American investors from having their money sent by Wall Street, particularly to China, for purposes that are absolutely contrary, contrary to our vital interests, including those of these investors, and, and Chris, um, in addition to just raising the alarm about the insanity of financing our mortal enemy, um, you and the American Securities Association you lead have been instrumental in giving specific, practical steps and and model legislation, for that matter, that can actually help correct what seems to be the the most serious of problems in this regard. And that is that it's actually not illegal to be doing what these companies are doing. And it it may be illegal, by the way, folks, to be, you know, doing business with these companies, but you can invest in the business that they're doing with the People's Liberation Army, for example. So much wrong with that picture, Chris, but give us some ideas about what you all are pushing to uh, try to fix it.
4: Well, there's a, there's a number of different ways that we can get at this problem, and, and the conversation is starting to reach a tipping point in Congress among Democrats and Republicans. You can attach attack this by preventing and prohibiting specific sectors from receiving any U.S. funds. That's, that's something that seems like a no-brainer, but there's a lot of pushback from the powers that be uh, on globalist Wall Street. So then you have the next level. What do we do? How about the entity level? Which means company by company. Well, what has happened to date is you can put these companies on the entity list, or you could think of it as the do not do business list. You could put it up, them on the DOD list, which basically says these people are a threat to our national security. And we do put them on those lists. And then Treasury implements sanctions through OFAC, which is the Office of Financial Asset Control. And they they implement sanctions on these named companies and quote-unquote their affiliates and subsidiaries. And then those named companies have learned from the American system to create a new subsidiary, take down their old named entity, put the new subsidiary on a Chinese stock exchange in mainland China, and then that gets replaced and put into these A-shares companies and and, uh, international indexes. And then money continues to flow to the companies that were prohibited. And our government can't keep up with how fast this whack-a-mole process is happening. So one of the things that we, along with uh, you all, Brian Kennedy, Roger Robinson, uh, we have been advocating for the prohibition, stopping the flow of funds to Chinese A-share companies. Now, what those are, are companies that are in mainland China, listed on mainland Chinese stock exchanges. They are not subject to U.S. law. They are not subject to U.S. courts. There is no recourse for investors who invest in these things that turn out to be frauds or gutted by the CCP when their useful life is over. So there is absolutely no, no, no by the way,
0: accounting procedures that you right. would recognize as such that enable you to discern whether they might be frauds, right? No, we, we can't get in
4: there. Those companies that are, are put into a fund, which is wrapped... Uh, by an exchange-traded fund. They buy according to what the index tells them to buy, in this case, the a shares of China. They buy the certain percentages of all those companies from a uh, Chinese stock exchange, and then they give U.S. investors exposure to garbage. And that's what's going on here. And, and, so and just, to,
0: just to put a fine point on it, I, I, one of our other partners that I don't think you've mentioned, but we ought to acknowledge here, is the Coalition for a Prosperous America, And as I recall, they did a study recently that indicated that um, the big Wall Street companies have something like 5,000 of these A shares in their various, you know, exchange traded funds and and mutual funds and other portfolios. That's a lot of exposure, Chris. And if uh, on top of the problem that you identified with even those companies from China that are traded on our exchange, which also have accounting problems and issues on fraud and so on. But these guys especially um, are pigs in a poke Mm -hmm. for American investors, are they not? So what can we do to try to prevent, uh, as you say, um, people being unwittingly most often, I believe, exposed in this fashion?
4: Well, one of the first steps, which we've been advocating to both sides of the aisle, along with the Coalition of Prosperous America, is to prohibit American investors from purchasing A-shares. A-shares are what I just described, mainland Chinese companies on mainland Chinese exchanges. There's no transparency. There's no law. There's no regulation associated with them,
0: except for that which is controlled by the CCP. And that's not a very healthy basis for making investments, obviously. Now, Chris, you've, you've also done some really important work on what's being t- traded in our exchanges uh, that, again, uh, are actually listed there. Uh, talk about uh, the Holding Foreign uh, Countries Accountable uh, Act. I may not have that the, the term exactly right, but uh, that's another important initiative that I think you were principally responsible for spearheading.
4: Uh, Yes, the Holding uh, Foreign Companies Accountable Act and the Accelerating Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act was designed to force Chinese companies who do not comply with U.S. laws to do so within a very specific time frame or get kicked off of our markets. Now, you might say, how is it that they could be listed in our markets and not comply with our laws? Well, that was because of a memorandum of understanding entered into during the Obama administration which allowed
0: this charade to happen. We And and, and just one second, who was the principal patron of that memorandum in the Biden administration? Uh,
4: Well, I I believe during that period of time, you had Senator Schumer and uh, and
0: I believe the vice
4: president was involved. The vice
0: president was the one I was thinking of, Joe Biden, yeah. And I think he handsomely profited from it, by the way. That's a personal opinion. But Chris, we're almost out of time These pieces of legislation have begun a countdown, an accelerated countdown now, and I think you actually got them enacted unanimously, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? They weren't. Yes, that's right. Stunning accomplishment. Think about this, folks. The partisan divide on almost everything actually is something that uh, Chris Ayacavella, with his skills as well as his leadership of the American Securities Association, has rendered an incalculably important service. We so appreciate you, my friend. Come back to us with updates as soon as you can, if you would. Thanks for having me. Godspeed. I hope the rest of you will join us again next time. Until then, go forth and multiply.